Welcome back to Share the Load, a podcast about consent, including and beyond sex. I'm going to let you know what's coming up at Consent Wizardry, which is the consent education school that I founded. Um, The consent educator program is coming up. Applications are closed for the full program, but you are still welcome to sign up for just the consent education content portion. That does not include the business support or the private one-on-ones with me, but you will still learn the consent content and you'll be able to practice teaching it. That's a really good fit for anyone who wants to bring consent into their uh therapy practice into their coaching practice Um, it's great for like life skills teachers things like that it starts September 11th Uh, the next upcoming thing is the nine-week boundaries consent and masculinity that I'm teaching with Ari Simon that class is for anyone who experiences masculinity or has experienced masculinity anyone who wants to explore masculinity and how it has impacted you uh, as you learn consent concepts in a group of people also looking to have those conversations and do that kind of excavation. That starts on September 19th. Then there is uh, a four-week class in October with Brooke Herr, who's been on the show, they're going to be leading a program on grief. A lot of grief comes up in working with consent and boundaries. Um, It often takes the shape of, uh, it feels like loss around relationships. Um, Relationships do often change or start to fall away. Um, Grief for past versions of you and how different your life could have been had you had this material sooner. Um, Grief for the ways that you crossed your own boundaries, violated your own consent, and also reckon with ways that you've perhaps done that to other people. So Brooke is doing a four-part class on that. It's Wednesdays, starts October 4th. And then Boundaries and Consent for People Pleasers is back. I'm teaching that class. It's a five-week class in October. It starts October 5th. It's on Thursdays. Um, That class is for anyone who struggles to say no, anyone who struggles to advocate for themselves. We'll really work on practicing with your confidence, finding your voice, learning what your stress responses look like so you can navigate them, communicate about them, um, and really tap into how you feel, what you need, and what it looks like to name that and ask for those things from other people there's another train the trainer on the yes to no spectrum a five-day intensive in november that starts november 6th and that'll be it for 2023 other things that i have available um, and ways that you can support this show are workbooks Um, i have a boundaries and consent general workbook uh, digital that is available through the link in the show notes at consentwizardry.com. I have a boundaries and consent for people pleasers workbook. Um, 
these are all digital though flower press is going to be printing more of the original boundaries and consent workbook so there's hard copies available soon for that one i have my unblocked uh working through creative blocks with a self-consent practice workbook and a boundaries and your business workbook based on my recorded class i also have multiple recorded classes including a boundaries and consent for actors, for directors. Um, I have a Boundaries and Your Business two-part recorded class, pronoun practice classes for friends and family, and a separate one for mental health practitioners that I taught with Minachi, who's also been on the show. So lots of recorded classes, lots of content available. Um, and of course, any any money that you spend on the website supports this show and it's always very much appreciated all right let's get into it um i wanted to talk today about some patterns that arise early on in consent learning i've been doing this for a while now and there's some there are five patterns that i've kind of distilled uh to talk about today that come up a lot. Um, The first one is what I call getting no happy. Um, A lot of people learn about consent. They start to learn about saying no. They practice saying no. They recognize all the ways that they haven't said no and how difficult that's been in their life. And they get what I call no happy, which is they kind of just go no, 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 no to anything and everything all around them. Um, And what happens is that is like a pendulum swinging way the other way um that happens most for people who have said no the least the pendulum swings way in the direction of saying no to everything and the result often is a lot of isolation stifled growth and massive amounts of fomo fear of missing out uh you know there's There's a lot of like rhetoric online, I think, about, you know, canceling plans is my love language and the ways that, you know, if you're beyond capacity, like stay home, don't go to the thing. And I see a lot of problems with that. One problem is that, you know, you you miss the opportunities to stretch yourself, to try new things, to grow, to learn, um, to meet new people. Uh, You end up... um, sort of getting in the way of your own exploration. Um, Saying no is great. It's empowering and it's really important. And uh, consent is not just about saying no. It's about making sure that you are um, like listening to your body, listening to your needs, listening to your capacity and honoring that and that does not get us off the hook from following through from doing what we say we're going to do from you know uh like upholding our commitments um it's important to be a person of your word and part of that is is not just doing stuff that you don't want to do it's about recognizing your capacity, knowing yourself well enough to have a sense of what that's going to be, and then communicating about it honestly and realistically. 
So not overcommitting yourself in the first place and making sure, okay, I said I was going to go to my friend's show tonight. I am not going to make it if I don't eat enough, don't take care of myself, stay out really late last night, so on and so forth. I am responsible for taking care of myself such that I can follow through on what I said I was going to do. The second thing is this kind of, this thing that I see a lot where uh, this, this sort of like sudden flood of like all my friends have been taking from me and I need to cut them out. They've all been taking and taking and taking and not reciprocating. Now, yes, sometimes friends are awful, relationships need to end. But what I'm seeing a lot of is this sort of, um, you know, like hacking away relationships as a way to kind of bypass the hard work of setting boundaries, the hard work of having difficult conversations, of navigating conflict, because relationships take work. Having long-term sustaining relationships takes work. That's not easy. Um, It's challenging. So what happens is that a lot of people have this kind of flood, flooding realization of like, I have been letting people take advantage of me and walk all over me. And they, they hack away these relationships instead of setting boundaries. If, if you attempt to set boundaries and have difficult conversations and move through conflict and it is shown to you that the other person is not willing or not capable of having those conversations, of respecting your boundaries, of hearing them and being willing to work on them with you, um, then yes, of course, sometimes we have to end relationships. But relationships are collaborations. Relationships are collaborations. So before you slice these relationships out of your life, try setting boundaries. The third thing is this kind of, uh, like this other kind of awakening that happens where people start to go, oh my God, everything is non-consensual. I didn't consent to capitalism. I didn't consent to patriarchy. I didn't consent to the gender binary. I didn't consent to white supremacy. I didn't consent to pay rent. I didn't consent to work. All work is non-consensual under capitalism. You know, this kind of like wave of just like everything is non-consensual. Now, I understand that there is a philosophical argument to be made that that's true. Um, I studied philosophy in college and I, I understand the value in like arguing something like that with logic and trying to sort of look at things through that lens. But in terms of actually living with that mentality, I think it's hurting us. I think it's not practical, it's not pragmatic. And I don't think it's serving us. What, what happens with that mentality 
is that it creates this state of hypervigilance. When you think that everything is non-consensual, that often gets, like non-consensual stuff is happening all the time. All the time. You were born. You didn't get to opt in. Someone did that to you. <laughs> um, you know, I don't get to consent. I mean, like if we start going down that road, it's like, I don't, I didn't consent to like being as short as I am. I didn't consent to like living in a city where I need a car, like Los Angeles, get with it. You know, like I didn't consent to like the weather today. Okay, so like if everything around us is non-consensually happening to us, that is a really disempowered way of living. I know that like when I start to teeter on depression, one of the first uh, indicators of that is this shift that goes from, I feel like I am doing my life to my life is doing me basically. And so this idea of like everything is non-consensual to me is very similar to that where I have no control. And again, I think there's a philosophical argument to be made that you don't have any control. I mean, I mostly believe in fate. I hardly believe in free will at all. <laughs> um, I'm a compatibilist in that regard. I think they're not mutually exclusive. But for the most part, I do think that we actually don't have enormous amounts of choice in our lives. However, in terms of like getting out of bed in the morning, living my life, finding happiness, um, having healthy, loving relationships, this idea that everything is non-consensual is, is crippling because it will lead you into this state of constantly feeling like like danger and threat are lurking around every corner. Everyone is potentially, everyone and everything is potentially violating you at any moment. That causes an enormous amount of stress and we know that stress causes illness. Stress is a carcinogen. Stress causes cancer. Stress causes autoimmune disease and chronic illness. Stress is one of the worst things for our bodies. I work really hard as someone who deals with chronic illness to reduce stress in my life. So the idea that everything is non-consensual and that non-consensual things are happening to me all the time, it, all it does is it adds to this, the stress that already exists of just like being alive and having a body and it makes you sick or sicker. To me, this line of thinking is, it's not just disempowering, it strips you of autonomy. Consent to me is really ultimately about autonomy and agency. And when we think about this idea, like when we live with this idea that all these things just have bearing on us and control us all the time. Like I talk about the systems of oppression that puppeteer our lives and there's a really serious reality to that. And I cannot fight those systems if I feel utterly disempowered by them and I cannot fight them 
sustainably if I am utterly burnt out by the stress of being hypervigilant every moment of my life. Another sort of part of that particular idea, this like everything is non-consensual idea, is that recognizing that these systems are operating non-consensually on us, like recognizing that does not make them go away. In order to change them, we actually need energy, we need rest, we need the sort of the gall and the the enthusiasm. I know I often say I hate that word, but I mean it in a different way. We need the like chutzpah <laughs> to continue to fight to change them. In order to continue to fight to change them, I really deeply believe that we have to be able to survive them. And in order to survive them, we have to be willing to deal with them in a realistic way. Like I talk about this a lot that like having no money does not fight capitalism. Like by abstaining quote unquote from capitalism, first of all, I don't believe that you can actually do that. But a lot of people, you know, try to live that out. They try to live off the grid. What I see that happens when people try to live kind of outside this like window of tolerance within these oppressive systems is that they become unwell. They don't have access to the things that allow that like good health care. They don't have access to, to rest and to, to, you know, recovery time, nourishment time, to good like clean food, you know, what happens is that people burn themselves out by trying to like simply abstain. You know, I can make adjustments that are in line with my values, but I do really think that there is a window of tolerance that I have to be willing to kind of live within in order to like functionally fight these systems. Because if I attempt to simply opt out, I lose the resources necessary to continue fighting. Okay, the fourth thing that happens a lot is that people point a finger of blame. They want to blame, they want to punish, and they will point that finger everywhere but at themselves. It's really easy to learn about the ways that you've, the, to learn about consent and recognize, oh, someone did that to me. You know, oh my gosh, that is exactly what happened to me when I was whatever, and like so-and-so did that to me. It's a lot harder to look at the ways that you've crossed your boundaries or other people's boundaries, violated your own consent or violated other people's consent. The ways that you've made people uncomfortable or held power over someone and pushed them past their limits. None of us are immune to this. We have all made people uncomfortable. People have done things for us that they wouldn't have done if it wasn't for us, if they didn't think that we wanted it, and we will never know. Um, you know, we are all, we have, we will, we can cross other people's boundaries, violate other people's consent. 
And when we are unwilling to look at the ways that we are doing that too, what I see a lot is these accusations of hypocrisy. You know, you say you stand for this, but you do this and this and this. We are all having hypocritical moments. And sometimes there's no resolving them. Part of being an adult is living with contradiction and learning that there are not, you know, binary, like good, bad, right, wrong, good, evil. Like these are not clear. These are not clear. Sometimes there are values that I hold in my business that in my personal life are different. You know, I know people who like politically, based on their politics and their values, would seem like they don't really believe in monogamy. But in their dating life, they want to be monogamous. Some people might say that's hypocritical. I think that's just part of being alive. It's just part of being alive. You know, sometimes your feelings and your emotions don't match your values in every instance. So... I see this pointing the finger of blame, this seeking out punishment. I think that that is sort of amplified in the US by our suing culture. The idea that you can sue someone. And, uh, and so there's a way that people often, like it's like two-sided. There's like a way that, you know, if I'm afraid that I'm gonna get sued, I will not advocate for myself. I had an assistant quit uh, once who said that she didn't feel that this job was, this job felt misaligned for her. And I just thought, you know, that's fine. That's an okay reason to quit. But can you imagine if I fired you because this felt misaligned? I could get sued. So there are ways that, and like that, that had felt misaligned for me for quite some time. But I, as the person in the position of supposed power, was actually powerless to end that working relationship for fear of any kind of repercussions. Um, so yeah, that, that blaming thing, you know, it's uncomfortable not to blame. I, I had this experience with my dog where it was raining and she went outside at my parents' house and she got her paws all muddy and she ran inside and she got mud prints, muddy paw prints all over the white carpeting. And my brain in a split second attempted to figure out where to place blame. It was mom and dad's fault for getting white carpeting, who in their right mind gets white carpeting. Um, it was my dog's fault. She should have known better, like ridiculous. It was the weather's fault, like, the rain, as though it's a sentient being, was like conspiring to fuck me. Um, and I, I noticed this happen in my mind. And I just thought, wow, look at how strong that impulse is to figure out who's at fault. And who's at fault does not actually help me prevent it from happening again. That energy would be much better put to use by me trying to figure out how to prevent it from happening in the future. Maybe I keep wipes by the door. Maybe I keep, uh, you know, a pee pad by the door that she can, that she'll step on when she walks in. Maybe I close the door to the kitchen so that when she comes inside, I know and I can wipe off her paws before she runs around the house. Like that is a much more 
useful way, like much better use of my time. When I think about that as like a metaphor for all kinds of harm, including sexual harm, I do believe, and I this is controversial, but I truly believe that most harm, including sexual harm, is an accident. It is the result of miscommunication, lack of communication, differences in terminology, different definitions of what sex is. Uh, it's the result of like someone not knowing how to ask, someone seeing something on TV and then mirroring it, um, someone else not knowing that they are allowed to speak up, not knowing what they want, not knowing what their boundaries are, not knowing where their limits are. The image that we have of like sexual assault and rape in our minds so often is this like extreme violent with force incident. Most, most violations of that kind are not that. They are so much subtler, so much more complicated, so much more gray. And I don't think that trying to figure out who to blame is the best use of our time or energy. I think if we could stop trying to blame, if we could stop trying to blame, we would invest more of our resources in healing and support for people who've, who now have trauma as the result. We would invest more of our resources in education to prevent these things from happening in the future. We would invest in things like media literacy, sex ed, consent ed. That to me is, is where change is gonna happen, not by blaming and punishing people. Okay, the fifth and final thing that I'm gonna talk about is this common misconception that learning about consent is gonna help you avoid stuff that you don't wanna do. Consent is not about that. That is not the point of consent. Consent is not about no longer doing stuff you don't wanna do. We all have to do stuff we don't wanna do. I don't wanna take out the trash. I don't wanna scoop my cat's poop. I don't wanna do my laundry. Um, I don't always wanna work. You know, this is like doing stuff you don't want to do is like moving from being a tiny child into adulthood. We all have to do things we don't want to do. Consent is not about avoiding things we don't want to do. Consent is not about doing, avoiding doing stuff that's hard or uncomfortable. If it were, you would stop learning new things, challenging yourself, exploring your curiosity. You would stop expanding. You would stop growing. Learning new things is uncomfortable. Challenging yourself sometimes hurts physically, emotionally, mentally. Consent is about empowering yourself to move through hard things safely. Consent is about setting yourself up so that you are supported before, during, and after a hard thing. It's about the bath you're going to take after that difficult conversation. It's about the friend you're going to call when you, you know, when after, after a breakup. It's about the meal that you're going to prep for yourself when you know you're having, you're having a really challenging day at work. 
so that you don't have to worry about nourishing yourself when you get home. It's about the prep you're going to do before the breathing techniques. It's about the caring for yourself through hard things. It is not about avoiding hard things. At a job, there are parts of every job that no one wants to do. I don't want to run payroll at my company. I don't want to update the website. I don't want to change the dates on the class, on the Canva post, on the this post and this post and this post and on the website in these seven places and in these newsletters. Like all that shit is tedious as hell. I don't want to do those parts of my job, but those are like the gears that I have to keep turning in order to make the larger machine run so that I can do the things that I want to do. Consent is not about avoiding discomfort. It is not about avoiding the minutia of life. We all have to be willing to do things that we don't want to do. The work of consent is recognizing that, not trying to convince yourself that it's great and you love it and like gaslighting yourself that way. It's honoring that no. Part of honoring that no is going, hey body, I hear you. I know you don't want to do this. I'm going to make sure that we can do this safely. I'm going to make sure I'm not hungry when we're doing this. I'm going to make sure that I get to see a friend afterwards. I'm going to make sure that I have lots of time at home alone before I go do that thing. I'm going to make sure that I'm not doing anything late at night, the night before, so that I've gotten a lot of sleep. And we're going to get through it. Gaslighting your body and trying to convince yourself that your no is a yes, that is bad. Do not do that. That is something that we want to avoid because that ruptures trust between you and your body. It creates insecure, perhaps anxious or avoidant attachment with yourself. It does not create secure attachment with yourself. Creating secure attachment with yourself will come in part from recognizing that it's a no and then having that internal conversation about we're going to move through this together. I've got this. I know how to do this with care. All right, that's it for today. Um, I hope to see some of you in class soon. We've got some really good classes coming up. Um, I was also going to say that uh, if you would like to book me to speak at your school, at your kid's school, at your company, if you want a workshop, um, you can contact um, Sean at collectivespeakers.com. That's S-E-A-N. Um, I offer all kinds of talks for schools, all kind of kinds of guest classes and workshops. Um, I also am offering one-on-one coaching. I have space right now. Um, that's my consent lessons, uh, boundary sessions, uh, boundaries in your business sessions, and an unblocked moving through creative blocks with a self-consent practice private sessions. I would highly recommend doing the unblocked and the boundaries in your business one-on-one programs together. That's a really amazing combo. Um, I'm also available for intimacy coordination gigs. Um, nothing, nothing sag right now until the strikes are over, but if you've got student films or, um, you know, anything that is non, non-union, I can intimacy coordinate. Um, 
also, if you are in New York um, or anywhere else really around the country, I've got people that I can recommend to you for intimacy coordination gigs if you need somebody. I'm in New York pretty frequently as well, and I can teach in person or intimacy coordinate there too. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Please support the show. Consider joining or subscribing on Instagram. You can support it on Patreon. Um, this really is a one-person operation. I, um, it's just me right now, uh, and I have a mentee who's helping me a lot, but this is, uh, you know, running a business is expensive. The podcast costs money, other things. Oh, it's unbelievable how much running a business costs. Um, and yeah, this year has been tough with no, no TV work. So please, please do support if you can. It means a lot. Thank you. Thank you.